I can't be a pessimist because I'm alive. To be a pessimist means that you have agreed that human life is an academic matter. So I'm forced to be an optimist. I'm forced to believe that we can survive whatever we must survive. But the Negro in this country, the future of the Negro in this country is precisely as bright or as dark as the future of the country. It is entirely up to the American people and our representatives, it is entirely up to the American people whether or not they're going to face and deal with and embrace this stranger whom they malign so long. What white people have to do is try to find out in their own hearts why it was necessary to have a nigger in the first place. Because I'm not a nigger. I'm a man. But if you think I'm a nigger, it means you need it. The question you've got to ask yourself, the white population of this country has got to ask itself, north and south, because it's one country, and for a Negro, there is no difference in the north and the south. There's just a, no, a difference in the way they, in a way they castrate you. But, that's, but the fact of the castration is the American fact. If I'm not a nigger here, and the, you invented him, you, the white people, invented him, then you've got to find out why. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art Tenders. This is Danny Lavelle, and I am joined, as usual, by my co-host, McKeon Wayne Welch. Yes, sir. That's me. And today, we'll be discussing uh, the documentary titled, I Am Not Your Negro. It is a 2016 documentary film, uh, and it is directed, was directed by Raul Peck, uh, and narrated by Samuel L. Jackson, and it is based on manuscripts from a book that, or at least from a sort of novel that James Baldwin uh, had never finished. Essentially, the, the basis of this is that Samuel Jackson reads the manuscript from this film and his documentary, sorry, reads the manuscript for this book. And this documentary, what it does is that it pairs the readings with like actual interviews um, from James Baldwin's time, interviews that he conducted, as well as um, sort of footage from the 60s and even prior from movies, from actual events, as well as movies and actual events from today. Um, and there is a lot to discuss. And I, I'm going to say forefrontly, I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to run with it, that this is actually for, for it, a little bit difficult to articulate, but one of, I mean, we haven't viewed a lot here, but I'd say probably my favorite thing that we have watched so far. Why do you think that is? Was it because of the emotional response, or is it because you think it's the best made thing that we've seen so far? I'm not entirely sure whether or not it's the best made thing. It might very well be, and now that I'm thinking about it, I think it actually is. Like, it is the sort of, like, best made thing. It's unfair to put in the same conversation as Alabama by John Coltrane. It's a completely different beast. But the way this sort of documentary is just tightly put together is is impeccable but but i th- i think a big thing 
is a sort of the response uh, this documentary elicits, right? This sort of, like, at least for me, this this frustration, I would say. And and but it, I think it goes to show how well this documentary is done, and the and the frustration comes from the, these these activists from back then with James Baldwin, with, with James Baldwin, with MLK Jr., with Malcolm X, with Medgar Evans, that these people tried so hard back then. It, it it's paralleled with today that okay, have we actually come that far since then? You know? Yeah. So you and I both um, come from pub- t- technically public school educations. Um, yeah. Like it, it, at least our core, because you went to a half magnet. Right. I went to a magnet high school, but it was it was still a public high school, and regardless, like whether or not I would have joined that magnet, I would have still been that. zoned for that high school. Yeah. Right. So um, I'm wondering, did you ever really learn in your public school education that much about Malcolm X and Medgar Evans, especially Medgar Evans? Because I didn't really know anything about that. Guy. I also I I made a, <laughs> I made a giant mistake. I accidentally I forgive me. I should get fined for this. It's that's, Medgar that's Evers, unreal. not Medgar yeah. Evans. I just remembered it as Medgar Evans, but, but I should that, put that a two dollar fine for that. That going to say, how, like yes, exactly. That's that, I, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of the point there. That yeah, I think. A big thing, and it's definitely going to be one thing that I really want to discuss today, is how much of a sort of lack of public education is sort of treated towards black civil rights, you know, leaders and in the, the movement and sort of the individuals involved with that. Because I, I feel like you learn a lot about Martin Luther King kind of growing up so and they kind of much. nail it. Yes, they nail it on the head. Um, that MLK Jr. is the guy to base all of your protests after. And why do you think that is? Because he was heralded as such a like a such a peaceful protester, you know. Like at the end of the day, because it's yeah, because it's like the nicest way to do things. While I, I mean, th- thank God for him, but also without Malcolm X and without you know other people in that movement, like in the Black Panther Party, for example. I don't think that movement would have had much of anything if not for the rest of them. Like, I think MLK Jr. was a big part, but the sort of thing that we were taught growing up was like, no, Martin Luther King Jr. was the guy to really do all of these things when I don't think that's necessarily the truth. It seems strange and kind of fishy that we don't really learn anything about Malcolm X, not not really learn anything about Medgar Evers. Uh, And then also a a big one is that we don't really learn about the people that are involved in the movement at a different level, not just the people that are at the head of it, but the people that, um, that represent it without having to get up and say a speech. Like I have a dream. Like I didn't realize how big how big of a deal Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. and Harry Belafonte. Yeah, right. That that I I didn't realize um, how central they were. I had never even heard of James Baldwin until uh, maybe like maybe that like a year ago. Just because like I I started like reading his poetry and stuff, and that was a, another huge thing is that I didn't realize how big of a deal, how big of a hand that artists had in the mix of the movement. Yeah, because I or how much like their voice mattered and right. how much people wanted to hear so their voice. So being only having really learned about heavily about MLK in the public school system, do you think that that fed mm-hmm. into a very specific 
narrative that you that 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 you totally. fed? And and if so, what do you think that narrative was? Um, that narrative was MLK and what he did and the uh the sort of America that he tried to build, um, and the America that we think we are is a very idealistic America, <clears throat> as opposed to the actual reality of what we're living in. Mind you, like, I I shouldn't have said, like, the America that he's trying to build. Let me me run that one back. But we're we're taught really only him because, you know, this is how things should be. And we're taught, and look what, you know, like, as if, like, the Emancipation Proclamation and and, um, Martin Luther King Jr., like, they were the ones, you know, that solved everything for, uh, black men and black women and black black children right. in America and that's the, the two most important African American conspirators Abraham Lincoln and MLK right what? And, but, but that's like it's sort of like a base level sort of like that when when you're only a child and you you're trying to like understand these sort of like human concepts like you kind of start with like the bare bones and like you're kind of taught that's the bare bones and I, there's a sort of like understanding that like it's hard to really describe the nuances of what Malcolm X for example was trying to do um yeah and yet at the same time there's is such a great disservice to him to Huey Newton to to Bobby Seal to others that that so much of public education is trying to hide you from the fact that this is what America actually is. This is what the world actually is. This is the world that we're living in. And when you're five, yeah. that's fine. But when you get to middle school and high school, that that that, that shouldn't you your hand shouldn't be held like that. Like because I I felt like I was such under the impression in middle school and high school. That like racism was just not a thing anymore, and if and if it was a thing, it was just at a very one to one level, as opposed to like a systemic sort of racism that we are still experiencing today. And so the the scary right. part to me was seeing this um footage from the seven from the not just seventies but the sixties and the fifties and years before that from movies be paralleled to Ferguson, right? And and. And two, there was even better, even better that when Lorraine Hansberry was talking to uh, Robert Kennedy and talked about the the photo of the police officer with his knee on the neck of a black woman and the fact that a very similar thing happened. What I mean, what what like a month ago? I don't even. I it's it's hard to keep track of time. Yeah, like three weeks ago. Exactly. Like, not that long ago. Like, it... And that was, I mean, in the 60s, right? I mean, yeah. where are we? You know, so we, we are taught... We're taught in these public school institutions that everything is good. That everything everything is better now. But we, we, we don't teach that so many of the people as well who lived back then, who disagreed, are still living today because it wasn't that far long ago that they are the head of these several institutions that are part of a humanitarian problem that leads into a lovely next topic which is um a quote from the movie that i i mean there's like seven quotes from this movie from james baldwin specifically that i'm i'm just gonna think about forever yeah but one of the biggest ones and the one that isn't just applicable to to race issues but to 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 everything to every to, to the way that we live is the quote um history isn't the past it's the present 
uh, just fucking goosebumps, by the way. <laughs> um, but specifically, mm-hmm. I think that it's it's tough that we're taught to be individuals, but th- that's not really how it works. Because if I th- I think that if I could say something to every single white person in America, and in, in, including me, um, it's mm-hmm. that. Whether you want to or not, whether you are racist or if you claim to like, I'm absolutely not racist or, or wh- wh- whatever your leaning is, wh- whatever you believe, you, ca- you can never separate yourself from the the white experience. And and that being history, that, that, that being where we come from. So whenever people are saying like white folks are racist, it's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not talking about you specifically, but technically, yeah, we kind of are because the history isn't hundreds of people. Think about it like this. If there was one white person that did everything and represented everything that every white person in American history has ever done, if that was one person, just one person, and they lived for hundreds of years since the beginning of America for about 400 years, and there was one black person that represented everything that every, every black person did from, from the very beginning of American history 400 years ago, there would be some fucking issues right now. And the fact that mm-hmm. we're not learning what that white person did and what that black person did in response. And it's like, oh, man, well, well it, sh- it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be about white and black. But it doesn't matter right. because at the beginning, the whites kind of started it. W- whites are the ones that separated the whites and the blacks at the very beginning of, of, of American history. And so ever right. since then, it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop because that's how it started. That's how it was for yeah. several hundred years. And no matter what we do at this point, we're always going to have history, which is the present, by the way, clouding over us and clouding over every decision because it's not like history is irrelevant. It's not like it's it's something that, that's ever going to be f- forgotten because it can't be because it's relevant right now. Because people are still right now yeah. at, at this very day, there are still people protesting that protested in the exact same way at the exact same type of protests in the 60s and 70s. The, like there are still those old women out there right now. So whenever people say, oh, well, I totally agree with, again, specifically what MLK was marching for in the mm-hmm. in, in the civil rights movements, but it seems kind of out of hand right now. Well, they're the same people marching for the same thing because history is the present. And 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 that specific history of the 60s and 70s like wasn't that long ago, like I said. Yeah. Um and I think what you said which wasn't that long ago from from like the 1890s from like the abolition of slavery from like the I mean there's Right. It, it, none of it was that long ago. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no like <laughs> it, it's it's only it's not that many generations away those times, but to kind of like hold on to a little bit of what you were saying about the sort of white and black relationship. And if we like had to embody, you know, white history in one person and black history in one person in terms of like American history, kind of loosely it, in my mind, it, it tied to, I think one of the high points of when the documentary shined and which was um, I can't remember the show, but James, um, it was a archival footage of James Baldwin being on this like talk show, right? Oh, it was, it was it was Dick Cavett. Thank you. Who was popular for having huge political discussions between like KKK members, between civil rights activists? Like he he was he was really into that shit. So that that was like a haven for that. Sorry, go ahead. Gotcha. No, no, that's I just learned something because I I actually did not know that. Highly recommend going to his YouTube channel 
and seeing all of like the archival footage. It's really interesting stuff. Go ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no worries. But yeah, so then in this part of the documentary, so he's being interviewed by Dick Cavett and he, Dick Cavett brings on a Yale philosophy professor. It was really yeah. interesting hearing that conversation because what the philosophy professor was saying was that in essence, and I don't think I'm really neutering the argument that he was trying to make here when, when I'm saying this, is that James Baldwin would have more in common with a white author than he does with, let's say, a black doctor, for example, or just like a black citizen that isn't an author. And so the philosopher was questioning, why does it always have to be a sort of race thing? And James Baldwin brought up the fact that, like, no, it's essentially, no, it's not us making it a race thing. What I am noticing is that, like, in this, you know, quote-unquote, you know, this Christian country, um, like, theoretically, there should be churches where we're all together, but there are white churches, white Christian churches, and there are black Christian churches. I noticed that. And then, then there are um, establishments, renting establishments, that try to keep us in the ghetto. I noticed that. Like, these things that he noticed, that necessarily they aren't, you know, like, outwardly racist. They aren't doing things against them, but they're more so doing things to not help propel the, the, the black citizen in America, and it's it's what it is is that it's completely ignoring the actual things that are happening, and I, and I think that that's what kind of riles me up in this in this documentary. Um, but it's I mean it's incredible. I think this yeah. documentary, and 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 I think that I'd like to um, talk about the documentary's focus, the way that it flows and whatnot. Um, whenever whenever we come back. Um, so yeah, let's, 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 uh, take a quick word from, from our little old sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Art Tenders and our discussion of the documentary from 2017, I Am Not Your Negro, and we're gonna try to discuss a little bit more about the actual, you know, making, uh, of the documentary itself and what it, you know, what it does because we we discuss a lot in the first part of like what it did to us and the sort of impact that it left us and the thoughts that we had walking away from it and now we're going to discuss a little bit more about what the documentary itself is doing um in the making of it so uh, one thing that I want to ask you Mac is um typically in documentaries that it's usually conducted by interviews that's like one big staple in documentaries and so much of the time you know individuals are being interviewed for this particular subject and they get people in um and so Raul Peck could have very well have done that here in this case for this documentary and chose specifically not to and instead use archival footage for everything except for one particular moment in the end where he's just getting shots of black citizens uh and their families and so doesn't use any sort of um interview and i said 2017 film excuse me i meant 2016 um but he doesn't get any interview specifically for this documentary so do you think that sort of process using just strictly archival footage uh aided in the storytelling of this documentary and if so why yeah, um, I think so, because I think that it wasn't necessarily, I don't think it was just a movie about the current 
experience. I don't think that it was a movie about um, what is what is happening right now. I think it's a movie about what happened then, um, which is why I think they picked a documentary rather than a movie. It, it was it was a retelling of precise events mm-hmm. and about a person's life and and things that actually happened, and then comparing it um, at the end to to things that are happening right now. And also, I think it aided because what was so cool about the movie is that. Or I keep saying movie, but it's a documentary. What was so cool about the documentary is that it had a protagonist. It had an arc. It had a journey, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really hard to find in a documentary, but it's also like the coolest part. Like the most successful documentaries of all time mm-hmm. are the ones that actually do move like a uh, like a movie. And so the, to, to, to get that, that's either you being lucky and being around people that things that where things are happening like tiger king or some shit like where you're able to actually like um document something that's happening in real time or it's um a matter of 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 reaching to the past reaching to it they they had so many photos of james baldwin that and then they and then they had an actor samuel l jackson embody him or or via his voice and and uh and so there was actually someone to follow so yeah, of course, I I definitely think that it I I didn't think prior to this or like to really any uh, any sort of documentary that like oh yeah that's right that like they were protagonists like in the story and like what the director of the story they're trying to tell and I think yeah no the 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 lack of modern interviews definitely aided this film because I've said it so many times already but how much of a parallel it is to today and and I think. Modern interviews, although I a lot of people would have had very good and interesting things today, considering some of the people that are mentioned in this documentary are still alive. Like I, I was, um, I don't think I really knew, or maybe I did vaguely know of Harry Belafonte, just as an example, prior to this documentary. Um, but had no idea he was still alive today. Like that's just like an example right there. So he Peck could have very well used people that were involved with these events for this documentary and specifically the today mm-hmm. and specifically chose not to and i think yes that did better construct the story and yeah that sort of protagonist where this is james baldwin's experience right this is what he is going through this is how he views the world and and america and black america with a combination of being born and raised and being raised in New York and then leaving to Paris and then coming back and to, to see what is going on. Um, and so the lack, like I said, the lack of these modern interviews definitely made it so much more effective, I thought. And, and, and it's making me wish more and more that there were more documentaries that didn't even use interviews like this, you know, that just use past interviews, that just... D- didn't do interviews specifically for this documentary because what I think a big thing that helps too is when you're getting interviewed, right? And let's say you're getting interviewed and it's for this specific occasion, then it's a, it's a story that you're trying to tell, right? It's a story that like, okay, this is, the, I'm, I'm trying to tell this story right now at this moment of time. But if somebody is doing a documentary and they just took snapshots from your life, right and they just use footage from your life 
you're not in the middle of trying to construct your own story, right? You're in the middle of trying to actively do something else, regardless of what that is. Um, regardless of if you're just hanging out with your family on a Sunday picnic, you know, it's something absurd like that. You're not trying to tell a sort of story in that particular moment, right? Or at least like if you are trying to tell a story, it's a story for a different purpose. So there is a sort of rawness instead with, excuse me, wow, I should get fined for that, clearing my throat into the microphone. (laughs) There is a sort of rawness that when you get these, this footage and these thoughts from a different time, if it has a different perspective and it, and it's less of a spin these individuals um, can put on what they're trying to say, whether or not, it's a good spin or a bad spin. It's it's it makes it a lot more real, I guess. I can't really find another word aside from that. There, there was there there was especially something very um, human and very uh, effective about the book itself. Is written sort of like a diary in ways. Mm-hmm. Um, um, to hear the thoughts that James Baldwin had and the feelings that he was having, and then to see him around the exact same time in an interview setting or in a debate setting, it was really enlightening. And it really did. Like, I, I feel like if, if, if you did that for anyone, mm-hmm. it would be really interesting and, and, and effective in terms of, like, humanizing the person and, and making them, m- making the audience want to be on their side. It's a lot more unfiltered. Yeah. Like, I mean, you could, you could pick anyone. Like, if you, you know, like Obama... And Obama had a diary, and you heard him, like, his thoughts and feelings going into the election, and then you saw the election happen. That would... It is ridiculously eloquent and articulate compared to you, myself, and many others. Especially because uh, he's a fucking poet. The words that he's choosing, the way that he's expressing his emotions, is heightened to an absolute different universe. Because I think what's, what was so interesting is that he didn't use common phrases. He didn't really use things that that I was used to. So every time that he would form a sentence, my mind wouldn't go, oh, yes, I understand that. My mind would have to really process the verb that he used, the, the, the way that he used it. Um, from the whole movie, what was your favorite quote? I actually have a few um, in a very weird way. So I have a quote that was used in a movie that James Baldwin said. I have a quote that um, was just shown that was in, in the film. And as well as I have a quote that I was surprised that they didn't use in the movie that was by James Baldwin. And it seems ridiculous, but I'm just going to go ahead. So I'll start that the quote that I was surprised that they didn't put in was um, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. That's so good. And I think that... That's really interesting. That's really interesting. And I think that one singular quote surmises this entire film in in so many ways, in so many ways. Um, One quote that wasn't said by um james baldwin instead it was actually on a sign it was on a picket sign and i wrote down this quote because it was a combination of finding it funny and finding it so ridiculously sad from a from a personal point of view um and it was on a picket sign that was against uh it was pro segregation and this sign said race mixing is communism (laughs) 
So I just wanted to yeah, let that one uh... sit. You know, being being um being a Cuban. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's a good one. That's a that's a that's a that's a. Yeah, that's that's really shocking. Yeah. It, I I saw that on the on like a picket sign, and so like immediate thought was you have no idea what that means. The the quote that Baldwin said himself that really kind of like oh shit like you were so right was when he was saying I'm, I'm gonna butcher the quote a little bit I'm, I'm paraphrasing um but he was referencing these this sort of white world that we're living in in America and like in other countries like Ireland um yeah. that if they say give me liberty or give me death and they're like holding a gun that it's it's yeah. patriotic or maybe not patriotic but it's heroic but if a black man says those yeah. same exact words verbatim, they're viewed as a criminal. And that is that is a truth back then. That is a, that was a truth when he said it. That was a truth a hundred years prior. That was a truth a hundred years before that. And that is a truth still today. And God knows when that will no longer be a truth. I hope within our lifetime that 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 was that was that was a quote that I'm like because because that the big thing for me for that quote was that like it was still very much so a truth today and a very heavy truth and a truth that we are experiencing especially now the quote well, there you. there were there there was one that I that I definitely am just the most enamored by and the one that rocks me the most in my core but but then there's another one that 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 makes me think really really hard um so i'll 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 go with the um with the more more emotional response first and then we can talk about the second one if 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 we want to the first one being uh and 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 i actually posted something recently that that that's kind of similar to it that was um said by a, a civil rights activist recently outside of um uh recent hall of fame burning or whatever but but there was it was talking about mm-hmm. like i'm shocked that black folks in this country have not been pushed to a point of violent paranoia he was like i think that is only it is only by the grace of god that they have not entirely turned and that it is still peaceful and he was like i think that it would be sad and horrific if things were to get violent or if I were to be enraged mm. and hurt someone because of it. But I think it'd be justified. And 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 that was a woof, that was a big one. And and the, yeah, and, and, and the and the quote that was more the, the, the that that was more recent that was similar to it that I saw mm. on, on last week tonight with John Oliver was um at the very end of it she was like, You're just lucky that what we want is equality and not revenge. And I was like, that is, that is, that is wild. That is wild. Kind of scares you. It's good. Um, yeah. But yeah, and, th- and then the other thing that, that really got me thinking very hard was, um, it, it was him commenting on the concept of ignorant bliss, the concept of white bliss mm-hmm. and white ignorance in terms of, in terms of race relations and race disparity, how the only reason, and, and like, there's no other country in the entire world that can live as comfortably as the middle-class white American, especially in, in, in the fifties to now, it is at the price of the freedom of 
millions of Americans and the people that built it and the people that work be work beneath those middle to upper class Americans, um, white Americans that are, that 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 now can afford bliss, um, that now don't need to think about anything else, and that that's the mm. and and that's also the reason that people are so enamored with our culture with emulating uh, American entertainment is because we've mastered, absolutely mastered, unlike any other civilization in human history, the uh, ability yeah. to tune out, the ability to uh, only consume and consume things that we like, and that's it. This sort of tune out, I, I, want, I want to speak on that really fast, this sort Please. of tune out that's not, that's not because the government... You know, it's it's because of ourselves that we we allow ourselves to be tuned out. It's not because like some sort of you know entity is mouth feeding us. We are mouth feeding ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, but 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 in some ways it it helps governments. Um, right. Oh, and, totally. And it, and it can change the right. But he even said, when they're not actively you know f f you know uh, controlling entertainment, you know they're they're still having a hand in it and they're still gleefully experiencing the, 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 um, they're reaping what they sow. Yeah. And something that was so, cause, cause he talked about his upbringing and he talked about James Baldwin did talk about his upbringing and talked about, um, like the, the, the movies that he mm. would watch and the things that he would see and the people that he would listen to growing up. And, he said something that's, I mean, just going to stick with me for, for, a, for a hot minute now, um, which is, uh, speaking on segregation, we can, um, it, it's, it's understandable that we have different experiences in this country, um, and it's understandable that, that, that we have um, disagreements, and, and that you might want to, uh, that you might want to be separate because it would be easier for you to be separate. But it's not easier for us to be separate, and it's because of this single difference. You never have to see me, but I have to see you. Um, I'm forced to look at you, and you never have to look at me a day in your life. And that was something that especially uh, rocked me because, I mean, because of our industry and because we're artists. Uh, yeah, but, but also yeah. speaks so much to... Um, the idea of white intentional ignorance, um, act, act, actively not listening, uh, which which I see every single white person do, that, that and and there's no yeah. exception to that. I've no, I don't think I've ever seen a single white person that doesn't do that in some capacity. Sometimes it, there it's inescapable. Right. Whether whether willing like what yeah whether intentionally right. um, or not, and that's the biggest difference I think. It's just the case and that's that's a beautiful way to sum it up mm -hmm. is that and, and it's the same debate as like we don't have to think about it because it doesn't really affect us but it was beautifully said i have to see you you don't have to see me another quote that that took me away um from this film was the story of the negro in america is the story of america and it is not a pretty story of america yeah and I think that that really ties it all yeah. together with the sort of school system that a lot of this country represents, at least, I mean, like technically speaking, like we can only speak for our specific public school systems, but if they're anything, if they are a good sample, um, and if they're anything to show, it shows how much of 
the sort of personal history that is ignored in the sort of storytelling that we are telling the uh, children in young minds of today. This It's not necessarily a revisionist history, at least, um, but it is a history where just looking at it at the very, 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 very base face value and um, ignoring, willingly ignoring the hardships, racism, of, you know, the backbone of America. And then whenever people try to actually dive into it, similar to Jane Elliott, they're fired. Like, they're, that that's not what public school systems do. That's yeah. not what the public school... Uh, wants to educate their children with, which is which is crazy. I, I um I, I've been watching a lot recently, uh, public high school debates, just because the, I mean they're mm-hmm. they're really interesting to see like what high school kids are thinking right now. But also there's a lot to be learned from them, uh, from 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 both sides, especially because there's there's not really such thing as a uh, civil or truly intellectual debate that has nothing to do with emotion. Um, nowadays that that's not really how it works it's all very played up so honestly the most pure form of it is is in public high schools which is really sad but true yeah and so i've been watching a few of them recently Mm. um there was one of them that was talking about the confederate flag and then it started talking about uh, obviously the confederacy and and the civil war and, and what everything stood for and and where everything came from and 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 what actually happened and what the conversation actually became about wasn't about whether the Confederate flag was was a uh, it was an okay thing to fly or was a okay thing that that, that represents people. It, it actually became a debate about um, misinformation. It became a debate about what did you learn? What did I learn? How are those things different? Yeah. Why are they different? We we had that experience actually regarding uh, with a different subject regarding uh, Texas history. Yeah, that what I learned about like the history of Texas and its upcoming was very different than what you learned. Right, being from Texas and and yeah, precisely. Right, and um, like we we're one of the very few states that have to take a history course for our state because they we did a lot of seceding and joining and stuff. Yeah, for some reason, there uh, we're we're heroes, and that's that's so interesting and weird um, that that's the case. But yeah, that's. And even though I learned the very much so bare bones uh, of it, you know, of the, all the seceding and such in high school, the takeaway that I got, at least, you know, for Texas history was, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're kind of pricks. Right. Which is so weird because we're, we are heroes. <laughs> um, but that is, that is, yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of what school can do for young minds. And I, I wish there was there was a bigger knock on that, right? That Yeah. Like a big part of me right now is in the camp of it's difficult to change the minds of people who are already set in their ways, of people who are much older because they have experienced life and they have experienced life with a certain frame of mind for so long, it is just naturally kind of fact of the matter more more or less, but much more difficult to um to open their eyes to a new horizon right but what we can do is is what we're teaching our children well because because 
the 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 mindset that you're talking about, which is the the one where they're set in their ways and they have their information and that's just what they're going to think and they're never really going to change their mind. That starts yeah. regardless of what subject. Like that's right. just like that's just human nature. That starts at a very young age, and that and that starts based off right. of the information that you're given. And sometimes it's because you're, the information you're given is the information that you're getting from your parents at a very specific viewpoint that that you then feel like you need to do that, or it's or it's because you got an education that taught you specific information that 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 makes you lean one way or the other. I mean, most of the time, right. if you actually look up to a teacher and you actually listen to everything they say and they and they become more of a mentor once teacher goes to mentor, then you start believing what they believe. That's just how that works. It's also a shame that we're never really yeah. gonna know. We're never really gonna know. One hundred percent people's intentions, or, or what 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 history is, one hundred percent accurate. But the history is present. But the history is present, and we are the makers of our own history. So, with that being said, we've gone on for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, We're off the soapbox now. Yes, but I think. My final thoughts on this on this documentary. There's there's a lot to say about it, and um, it is so expertly crafted. And uh, truth be told, I mean, like there there are things that I I've written down that we didn't really touch on today. Um, and like so, and, and but I think it goes to show there is a lot to think about, a lot to dissect, a lot to unpack regarding this film, regarding on what the film does to you and what a citizen and their role is in society and how we can be better now, how we can be more mindful and then taking the steps to be not just mindful, but to actually, whether it's a small change, whether it's a big change, whether, you know, it's a butterfly effect. I I think this documentary does a really good job of look, even though, Perhaps, like, we think a lot has changed, you know, since the 60s, not a lot has changed. But I think it also goes to show that, you know, revolutions aren't overnight. Sometimes revolutions take generations to succeed. Mac, your thought, your final thoughts? If, you, if you're looking for a uh, statistical or logical debate, that's not this movie. It's like, go watch something like The 13th if you're looking for that. If you're looking for a movie that is about is about the social ramifications of racism, about the the intricate experience that is coined as the black experience in America, that is so absurdly difficult to to even begin to comprehend as a person that's not black, this is a very, this movie is a very good start because it's it it was it was made based off of a person that Correct. was just able to. Uh, articulated in a way that I I've never I've never seen someone articulate something so well. So all right. So with that, we're gonna do slice of the week, and this week, um, it's a weird jump, weird jump that I just made. Yeah. Uh, Depressing. <laughs> and, uh, and go it is, listen to a song. And here we are. Yeah. No. It's uh. I'll take the fall on that. I could have done that better. Um, but here we are. Here we're sitting with this. Um, I'll wrap it up quickly, though. I was surprised 
because I didn't know really much about Harry Belafonte uh, until this documentary. And then further surprise, because I'm today's, today years old, that um, Harry, Be- Harry Belafonte made the uh, made Jump in the Line and uh, the Banana Boat song. Wow. Did not Did not know that and did not realize how much of an impact, yes, how much of an impact this man had in sort of this music. Um, so my slice of the week is going to be Jump in the Line by Harry yes, Belafonte because I just love that song. And... Like I said, had no idea it was by Harry Belafonte, but I am so glad um, that it is. And so with that being said, Mac, what are we oh, viewing next, next week? week? Oh, we are going to be viewing the entire first book of Avatar The Last Airbender. First book meaning season, if uh, yeah, you were not acquainted. First yet. season, man. And, and, and we're partially doing it. So that we can praise Avatar The Last Airbender and then get to Legend of Korra and absolutely roast the living shit out of it. So We'll, we'll get there, we though. Will. And so Mac has seen Avatar in its entirety, and I have not. I've only seen a few episodes from when I was younger. So we're in for a trip, and we're going to be able to discuss much more of arcs. That's for sure. And this this will be oh, also yeah, our sure. first piece of animation. That'll be, yeah, that'll and be our first TV series. Yeah, precisely. So looking forward to it. Excellent conversation today, Mac. Go watch I Am Not Your Negro if you haven't. This film is incredible and deserves every inch of praise that it gets. Absolutely. All right, Mac, thank you very much. Thank you.